Hello, welcome back to Gas It Out. It's quite a fruity episode we've got coming up. There is a fair amount of effing and jeffing from our guests. Some of you will absolutely love it, and I think that's the majority, because there's so much good stuff to come. But some of you probably shouldn't be listening. All right, enjoy. Yo, shorty. It's your birthday. You all right? Is that actually how you've answered the phone? Yeah. <laughs> imagine, imagine how embarrassed your son and daughter would be. Oh, my God. And Vic. <laughs> Just generally everybody. Uh, how's your uh, Easter Monday going? Lovely. Really good. How about you, Gavlar? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been. I've been a bit agitated. I think today, in some ways. Yeah, I feel like I've been a bit agitated. It feels a bit crap. Yeah, well, it's just, it's not it's not the same, is it? You can't do it in a normal way. What are you doing? You sound like you're eating Quality Street, or you're eating the bits out of the bottom of an Easter egg. Um, no, no eggs for me. We're not an egg. Uh, we're not an egg family. Right. Okay. Did you get eggs? What, what, are you, what are you instead? Or nothing, just not. Just, just no, don't like, exchange gifts. We don't have gifts at Christmas either. No, oh, we definitely don't at Valentine's Day. Just, no, no, I mean, I'm all over that. I mean, that's just, you know. That's just, every day is Valentine's Day for Vic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. She definitely agrees with that. And what, what, um, what were you rustling anyway? Was it just your... Nothing, Just I was just getting set up in my oh, studio. Okay. <laughs> go on, go on. How's your studio sat looking? The, sat, me, sat me bed. It, look, it looks like my bed, really. <laughs> but what's rustling yeah. in your bed? Have you got a crunchy dew? Is it the rubber sheet? Have you got the plastic sheeting on underneath the bed again? We all no, it's know. a sock. <laughs> <laughs> the sock. The famous sock. <gasps> oh, that's good. You don't want to think about anyone's sock, do you? Uh, yeah, so I, I think I've had a bit of an agitated day. Um, they were so early this morning. The the, the um, house opposite, they've got some big trees. I mean, they're big trees. You know, they're they're as high as the house. I'm looking at. I'm in the attic now, and the trees higher than the house. But they've locked down tons of them opposite us, but not all of them. Right. So it's like it's sort of like it's gap in the trees. So they've brought it down to sort of first floor height. They've cut down a beautiful blossom tree. Which is a bit of a shame. I'm a bit gutted about that one. Love a blossom. Yeah, and then there's another one that they've left over. They cut the top off it, but they left it overhanging the pathway. It's the most bizarre thing, anyway. And then, and then I was get, also getting agitated because you know they have the the wood chipping machine thing where you feed the. It's exciting. I mean, it is exciting. The feeding in the the, the trunk and it was going in and it was firing it at the back of a truck. Well, the, the sort of baffly bit that, that was aiming it towards the truck, when he dropped one of the trunks off, he sort of knocked it down. <laughs> Chips were going everywhere. It was like... All, a, of, all over your road. All over the road, all over my car, all over the... Yeah. There was, a, there was a, a Fiat Punto behind it, honestly, uh, that that looked like it had just come out of the Sahara. It was just covered, covered in dust. Like it had like a mound of dust on top of it. Bloody hell. I felt like I should go out and say something there, but then I thought, you know, 
Pedant. <laughs> and then and then I also got agitated earlier. Yeah, basically. But although it's social distancing. But I also got agitated earlier. Um, but I could have had him. Oh yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> um about um Kate my girlfriend was doing some exercises with some dumbbells. Right, my dumbbells. And um I I don't understand why, but you know, like you have the, the weights you can put on each end and the the there's some that are one and a half kilos and or well, basically just get to the point she bite she was doing bicep curls and we're heavier weight than what you can use Is that's that basically the we... point yeah and it just really upset me <laughs> it does no yeah. no no but she put a two a two and a half kilo one on one side and so it was like two kilo one on one side of the dumbbell and two one kilo ones on the other side to balance it yeah. instead of that. instead of two two ones does that make sense yeah, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm talking in binary here. Two one 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 ones, zero zero one one. Yeah, I'd and it, it was lopsided that. though. So so, <laughs> you yeah. know, it just, that, oh, it really. It, yeah, that, you've had a tough day, Gav. I mean, that's Good that's deal. not on, is it? That's a. F- you've had a full day as well. That's a lot of stress. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, there's so a uh, lot of lot of uh, bad things going on in the world. But welcome to my world, you know. Yeah, I didn't realise how bad it was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but but anyway, of course, um, uh, so many other worse things going on that I think I, I almost forgiven her, more almost forgiven yeah. her. I would. She'd yeah. be sleeping in the car tonight. Oh, and so, why is that different to normal? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, so that's it. And then the other thing that agitated me, uh, Neil, was um, this actually might have riled me up more than anything. Was that there was a suggestion that. Oh look here! There's our uh, Jimmy's offering um, online a learn to dance class. Ooh, you, so hang on, is this a confession? You're learning to dance? No, 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 no. It's on. It's on in uh, ten minutes' time. Oh, we just arranged to speak to Scott Redding at that moment. Oh, what a awful coincidence! It's the oh, first one gosh. in a series of classes. So I'm going to miss it. So I can't. Oh, I'm gutted, Neil. Honestly, I'm gutted. I know she'll, actually, you she'll probably listen to this bit as well. So. How embarrassing that would be in your front room, learning to dance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would just oh. embarrass him full stop, you know. Self-loathing. I'd just hate myself doing that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just don't know if they're going to do Agadoo. <laughs> it's the only one I've got. Anyway, so that's been but, uh, my day, um, really. And uh, so looking forward to speaking to Scott Redding, really, about yourself. Yeah, well, let's hope he talks to us. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about Scott. I just, um, I don't know if he's going to talk. As in, with a, he's, he's sort of nipped out, hasn't he, to drop his missus off somewhere. And... Ah, right, okay. He's over in uh, the States, yeah? He's in, um, yeah, I don't know where about, well, I know he's in California, but I don't know where about in California. It's quite big as uh, old Cali. He's, um, he's not put out, <laughs> I mean, you know, you used to live there, but uh, he's not put out because um, you try to, uh, suggest your abs were any way better than his on the Ducati live Instagram feed the other day. Is oh, he? do you know that that was, that was definitely one of those moments where you realise what the hell are you doing, you absolute fool? <laughs> because I lifted my top up and I just thought, the light must be really bad because it looks <laughs> really crap. And his looked like, obviously, 
like I thought mine looked. It looked very <laughs> soft, I have to say. Um, and yeah. um, it actually, did you see Jorge Lorenzo put one up? He's doing a, a fitness challenge on Instagram at the moment, is Jorge Lorenzo. And he put a, a photo of him, up of himself. I think he'd been pushing it out, but with a, a bit of a and gut. And he's like, look, I know I need to lose some weight. I've, you know, I've got out of shape, that sort of thing. Um, and so he's got this fitness challenge that, that uh, he's going on. So I just thought that's what you were doing. No, definitely not. <laughs> we know what Lorenzo's like. He's, he's nobody's fool. So he started that fitness challenge, really. Just And he wants to before and after pictures. But he's done it just to get thousands of girls sending pictures of themselves <laughs> in the brown knickers. It's so but I true. That's but exactly I you, what I thought. Yeah. But the worst, the person I hate more than anyone is Joe Wicks, right? So everyone loves him. Right? Oh, oh my I God. I don't... I can't, I've got a thing against Joe Wicks. Like, Kate is obsessed by his books and by the, the yeah. thing. And I'm so like, I, I don't get it. I don't see it. So, no, but, but did Kate actually send him money and send pictures of herself? No, she didn't do that. No, well, Vic did. She's 120 <laughs> quid down. And Joe Wicks <laughs> has got pictures of her in a bra and knickers. It's bizarre. It, it's like... The biggest scam I've ever seen in the world. It's scam. And it's funny because I went... Scam, I love I went, it. It's a scam. It, this but is, it is superb. Went, he is the man that has united the country and helped our NHS heroes. It's a scam. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, a bloody con. scam. It's but listen, con. I went round to... Um, it made me laugh. <laughs> That's made my name. I went round to Neil McKenzie's. This is, glad, this is over a year ago when he was really popular, wasn't it? With Vic... And we sat there having a cup of tea in the McKenzie household and Jan comes down and Jan and Vic start talking and then I hear them whispering and then it's like Joe Wicks and pictures. And so I'm like, you know what I'm like? I'm like, oh, bloody hell, don't tell me, Jan, you have been sucked in. She's going, well, no, he's really good. And I'm like, I look at Neil, I went, look at this, eh? Our two, our, the ladies of our life, here they are. Not only are they sending pictures of themselves in the bra and knickers, they're paying for the privilege. And do you know what he's going to say back? Do you know what? If you eat a little bit less, you know, it's not, it's not like he's going to tell you something like, I didn't know that. Bloody hell. Hey, you're not going to believe it. We can have rice pudding every night and chocolate and we'll lose weight. No, it's just the usual. Less calories in, more calories out. Wait a you second. Know. You picked out rice pudding, all the fatty foods and that sort of thing, like chocolate crisps and alcohol, and you oh. go for a bit of ambrosia rice pudding. What? Joe Wicks does my head in, I tell you. I'm just not. I'm not impressed with that man. Is there a little bit of jealousy there? Yeah, yeah loads. I loads. mean, you know, he's definitely it for me, isn't it? To be honest. Yeah. Because they, they do actually so, yeah. love him, don't they? What uh, got us on the subject of Joe Wicks? Uh, Jorge Lorenzo, Jorge Lorenzo, and his oh, fitness yeah. challenge and that sort of thing. It's so true that what 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 uh, Jorge is doing. But we'll give him some ribbing when we speak to him next, and he'll laugh. Oh, about respect. It. Respect though, coming up with the idea. I like it. <laughs> I don't think we could have I don't think we could have got away with that. Hey, let's talk about um Scott Redding. We're gonna to speak to him uh, in a second and because uh, he's actually in good nick now, isn't he? Once upon a time, I remember back in back way back in the day, um, it was a bit anathema to him was to to be doing fitness, but he's worked on himself over the years. I'll tell you what, there's someone who, if you think about it, youngest was the youngest ever to win a Grand Prix at fifteen. And he's had a long, long career, but still young. Yeah, what is he now? Probably he's about 27, 20, 20, yeah, 27, I think. I don't know. I should 
we sh- should have checked really, but <laughs> maybe have done our research yeah, and all this. Yeah, it'll be about twenty-seven. So we don't need don't bother looking it up. It'll be about twenty-seven. But this is, it's the, hard. This is why this podcast is so successful because yeah. it's just facts. Yes, yeah, facts. And it'll be about twenty-seven. That's all anyone needs to know. About about somewhere it, about twenty-seven. It could be twenty-eight. No, and it might be twenty. He's, he's not twenty-six. He's twenty-seven because he's the same as Mark Mark, isn't he? Right. Fair enough. But yeah, it feels like he's been around forever. But and he's been on the right roller coaster, hasn't he? Like he had obviously winning so young. Imagine that's one of the questions, and I'm sure he's been asked it a million times. My question is, how do you win at 15? Like what? Because I don't know the I don't know his story at all. I don't know what got him there. You know, like did he do mini motos for years? Anyway, we'll we'll ask him that question. But um, but then it's been a roller coaster, hasn't it? He had a really successful time in the in Moto2, led the championship at one stage in 2013 mm. by quite a lot of points, wasn't it, from uh, Paulus Spargo? Yeah. And uh, then had that crash at Phillip Island and broke something. I can't remember what he broke, but yeah, he broke his, something. His yeah, well, it, was, made... it had got sort of level by that point and that was it then. That, that allowed Spargo to go forwards, yeah. So, um, but he's done what I did, really, similar, as in gone back to BSB to rebound I mean, that's and a big move. Having gone on to MotoGP, was he five years in MotoGP? Uh, yeah. And, and, I mean, I'm going to ask him about it. I thought he was on a Honda for a couple of years. I always felt he was on the Honda at the wrong time, switched to the Ducati at, almost at the wrong time, and then went on to the Aprilia, and you sort of think, yeah. oh, my God, he's just, it's just not, his timing has been all off. Yeah. Well, do you know what? That first year on that Honda, and it was a dog. He finished 12th in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he had a great season. Well, one of his problems has always been his size. When I spoke to him the other day, I couldn't believe it. He's 83 kilos. Now, bear in mind, Mark Marquez weighs... 69, 70, less than that, 65, Yeah, less than 70. 70. Yeah, Yeah, less than 70. He'll be about 68, won't he, 66. So, you know, he's given away a lot of weight there. He's given well, away... That's, that's 20 kilos, well, not 20, but 15 kilos. That's a big, that's a suitcase that you're taking on Ryanair that they're going to charge you 45 quid for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and that's you know how, how close everything is. So I think that's been one of his one of the things that he's, he's had to battle with. That's why actually at Phillip Island at the start of the year, you know the the first race in World in, Superbikes, uh, yeah, in World Superbikes, he had a great weekend. He's now he's lying second in the championship, but the Ducati didn't look that fast. But you can imagine with Bautista on who weighs like probably about sixty two, sixty three kilos, if not less, the Ducati was a missile. But with someone of his size. Um, and weight it, it does make a huge difference so th- he has had that as well to deal with in his mm. career which is it was big. always a big thing in Moto2 um, that in terms of weight loss that kind of thing and that's when it all hit home I think and that you know they tried to level things up in Moto2 a little bit because there, there, were, there were people around who were you know giving up so much difference on an underpowered bike. It was all at the start of Moto2. So, yeah, loads to get through with him. He is the reigning BSB champion, and I've got a lot of uh, respect for him, actually, for going there. So much pressure on. Daunting task it must have been. You've been there. To go back, to go back, to go forwards again, is a, a big call for anyone to make. Big gamble. BSB's not easy. You, you, the problem with BSB is, for, for Scott, having never raced in England, so he's going to tracks he's never been on, you're racing against obviously quick lads, but you race against lads that have raced on those tracks since they were 15, 16. So he's riding against guys who've got 15 years' experience around Cadwell Park, Alton Park, and, and 
there are no slow riders at BSB. You know what I mean? It's, mm. the, the top sort of 20 riders are quick. And actually, I speak, spoke to Neil McKenzie a lot about um, Scott's season. And he said what impressed Neil the most was he never panicked. There'd be some, like, free practice one, he'd be 13 fastest. But he never made any silly mistakes. He just chipped away at it and come the race. He was there or thereabouts, consistent at the start of the year. And then when he was going revisiting tracks, he became, obviously, his second time round, it was really quick. So he did, he did a great job. There was a lot of pressure. Yeah, a lot of pressure and, uh, and a big daunting task. Let's have a, a chat with him if we get hold of him. He's just sent me a message saying he's at the market. Um, be back in a minute. So we'll give him a buzz now. Calling Scott Reddy. Hello. There he is. How are you? Can you yeah, hear us all right? Yeah, hang on. No worries. I'm, I can't, if, I'm impressed, Scott. Well done, mate. I didn't think this was going to happen. <laughs> okay, I, I managed to download it this morning. so Top man. Oh, good lad. Uh, how are you anyway? You all right? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Just got up, had to run a few things and just keeping myself a bit busy, really. Where where are you? In, Cali- um, in California? Yeah, I'm in California. Where, whereabouts? Um, I don't really know exactly where it is. It's <laughs> not far from... Um, yeah, but is it um, LA end, San Diego end, or is it... Um... Yeah, yeah, it's LA. It's near... Um, what's that beach called? Malibu. Oh, lovely. Oh, it's so nice around there. Because yeah, Hodgie nice. lived there you as know, well, the weather, didn't he? The weather's been a bit mad at the moment. It's been raining and shit. Good hell. We've had a heat wave here, Scott. It's been. I know, I saw. I thought, what so nice. that about? I know. I've got a tan and everything. <laughs> yeah, sunburn. Hey, hey Scott. <laughs> He, he reckons uh, he was getting them abs out. They weren't abs, were they? Oh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> they weren't hey, abs. <laughs> hey, Scott, right, listen. Right, obviously you got your abs out, then I got mine out. But I, I could see my reflection on my phone of my abs, and they look so shit. And I was like, <laughs> what am I doing? Just hey, How old what? are you now? 46. So. 46, you ain't going too fucking bad. I'll just give you no, that. No, oh. But I, I, I honestly thought afterwards, I just thought, why did I do that? That was that was. <laughs> I was always going to lose that competition. <laughs> Fucking spear at the moment. Hey, it I was tell you ultimate. what. I um, when I was in Phillip Island, I went running with uh, James Toadland and Danny Webb. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw I saw, I saw the photo you put up. Yeah, I saw JT getting changed, and I thought, fuck me, like still I, I unbelievable. Like he wasn't into it anymore like his oh. fitness and that but fucking hell it almost put me to fucking he is like, a machine scott he oh, is an yeah. absolute machine of a man I, oh, I, actually, I think he's as fit now as he was when he raced he, 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 but he, it's like he's not relaxed has he gav it's almost like he still pushes and pushes himself yeah. fair play like lifestyle maybe it's just a lifestyle thing yeah well, my lifestyle is drinking beer now, unfortunately. <laughs> he's just cracked. He's just cracked one open. I mean, it's it's just gone six o'clock. So you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, Scott, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll just crack on. We'll just crack on and have a chat like we would uh, normally because um, it's good to catch up with you actually. Because I don't think we've actually properly spoken for quite a while. Obviously, I've known you since you were before you were fifteen, pretty much since the academy days, but. Um, you obviously took a massive gamble last year 
to go off and do BSB. And I was so, so pleased for you that you went on and, and won the championship. Because how, how daunting was it, you know, having been in Grand Prix racing since you were a kid and grown up there, to go back in front of all these fans who don't really know you and then have to do the job? Because there was a lot of pressure on. Um, I'll tell you what, like the biggest biggest thing was for it is is I knew I could win the championship and I knew I could win it in my first year. But knowing you can do it and doing it is two different things. Mm. There's always, there's luck involved. Like you've got to have luck to win a championship, um, have the right fight, you know. And I was coming off of, a, you know, a really bad year in Aprilia and that was kind of the make or break point. Like when I was... Uh, really confident I knew I could win the championship there but coming from Aprilia it was like the make or break part it was like if I can't win the championship now I might as well give up you know I might as well just quit racing that was kind of my breaking point so I had the hunger in me to win it and know that I could do it but there was a bit of doubt because coming off a bad year you do start to doubt yourself Mm. a bit you know it's a long season and on top of that I broke my femur you know, just Which you, you kept a little bit quiet. Months. You kept quiet, didn't you? At first, it was like, was it a mini bike crash? Yeah, the throttle stuck open on a mini bike on a training day, and um, there's nothing you can do really. And you know, karting tracks don't have a lot of runoff space, and a bike that's actually quite fast for a karting track, you know, when you hit some of that speed, you're going to yeah. do damage. Um, and I wanted to let people know, but Paul Bird didn't. Right, right. Um, I think for like sponsor reasons and stuff like that. And to be honest, I wasn't in a position to argue about it. I just got my head down and fucking tried to recover as fast as I could because I had one goal and that was winning the championship regardless what I had to go through. But you must have gone through so much. Was it was it a daunting task? And you say you're confident, you you know, you could go and, and win the championship. But, you know, it was a big gamble. We all thought, oh, Scott... If he doesn't get something in Grand Prix, he'll go to World Superbike. But no, you and Michael Bartolomeo, your manager, said, no, take it back to BSB and rebuild from there. Did you think at some point, am I doing the right thing? I just wanted a bike that could win and I just wanted to prove to people I could win. I couldn't give a fuck if it was high speedway, tractor racing, <laughs> quad racing. I just wanted summer. And I said to Michael, I said, give me a bike that can win and let me prove to you and everyone else I can win. I don't care what the odds are against me. If it's a different bike, track, tyres, it doesn't bother me. Just let me prove to you. And we didn't get an offer good enough in World Superbike to to perform mm. at that level. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. wasn't in a position to take any more gambles. I've gambled most of my life trying to ride bikes that are, you know, 60, 70% chance of doing a good result. Yeah. You know, I wanted someone that can win and I just go and prove like my ability that I can do it. Um, so it was a bit of a gamble, but we came to the first test and I was fastest. <clears throat> Second test, I think I was fastest and I thought, yeah, you know, we got this. I was comfortable doing long runs and we came to Silverstone and I was like, holy shit, this is not, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, so we got off on a bit of a rough foot, to be honest, because I, I thought a hundred percent, I'm going to win in Silverstone. You know, I know the yeah. track more or less is just one corner, you know, it's, it's easy. It's mm. an easy track, but the problem was the bike, the Ducati bike was not good on that circuit. Your Yamaha and Suzuki's yeah, were yeah. very strong there. 
Um, but it kind of just threw me off a little bit and I thought, whoa, like this isn't what I expected. What's kind of going on? This is what normally happens, you know, passing, testing, then in the racing. And I had to like really focus on myself and stay calm to to move on to the next race. And we didn't have a track that I knew coming up. So it was a delayed start for me until I really found my way. But it was uh, a bit worrying after round one. And was it, Scott, was it? So that it, was it harder than you thought? You know, like, just for example, when you're doing, you know, the years of racing in Grand Prix, you look back at the BSB and you think, yeah, national, it's a national championship. And like you said, and I, and I tr- totally believe you, you genuinely thought, I'm going to come back, I'm going to show these guys how to ride. Were they better than you thought, actually, though, when you got there? Um, on a Grand Prix-style track like Donington, for example... Assen, maybe Snetterton. You know, I'd never been to Snetterton. I dominated all weekend because I could be, I could ride how I ride. You know, same when we rode the tracks in Spain and stuff. I could, I could ride as Scott Redding Grand Prix style. I could use that advantage. Um, but what impressed me is how they ride at places like Alton Park and Cadwell Park. Mm. Um, really, I take my hat off to the guys. Like. <clears throat> I rode those races, shit in my pants every lap, <laughs> every lap of the race, you know. And I'm not going to deny. And I did, I, you know, I've come in and said, you know, when I first went to Alton Park, I was trying to follow Josh because I'm going there to win. Mm. So I don't have enough time to go around for a day or two days. I, I need to be fast from like FP2, FP1. I need to already be like top six if I can. That's my target already for FP1. So I was trying to like follow him and fuck, he was just going. And I'm like, how the fuck is he doing it? Like how? And I was like getting better, better. Then it came to qualifying. I literally like was behind him before the qualifying. And I thought, well, Scott, this is just one lap where you just need to survive around Alton Park. That's what, because Sunday I know I'll be stronger, but I just need to survive this qualifying. And I tell you, I fucking arm pump I've never experienced before in oh my, my life. Oh my God. I was so nervous. I was just so nervous, you know, and after seeing uh, Fraser's crash up over Clay Hill and I was seeing him in hospital and all that and you see all the barriers and through the practice sessions, people are like passing me so fast. I don't know where I'm going and now I'm following one of the kings of Alton Park to try and take a lap time. You know, <laughs> I was just biting off yeah. more than I could do. Full on holding your breath going... It it's was just all entering corners. I, I was entering corners thinking, oh my fucking God, this ain't happening. Like, this is end, <laughs> this is end of it for me. And then I got through then and I come to the next corner thinking, oh my God, this ain't going to happen. You know, it was just one of those laps where you think I ain't coming back from this, but I had to, to then put myself in a position for Sunday. Um, and I just, I said to Josh after, I said, fair play, like I was following you and I just could not stay behind you. That yeah. end of story, like you was a better rider that day and he won... Um, the races at uh, Alton Park, but it was the tracks like that where a lot of the guys have got experience on the British circuits where it really made me go, whoa, like, that's impressive. Because it's a different it, kind of style. It is. Gav, just to, to explain it, this is what people don't understand. Because I experience, experienced exactly the same, where I'd gone from doing world championship racing for so many years on safe tracks, and you get to Alton Park... And the corners are that fast. And you think, if I go down through here, I'm going to hit that barrier. 100%. And I know it, it's, it's like, if you hit the barrier, you're in trouble. 
Mm. And I, re- I remember that exact same feeling. The thing that made me laugh the most, Scott, with what you were saying is arm pump. I never had arm pump in my career at all until ne- on my ninth year of racing was my first year of BSB. And I had arm pump round, round Alton Park, <laughs> yeah. holding on, looking at the barriers going, fuck, like <laughs> fifth gears, kinks, you know, but but people are crashing there and people do get carted off and you're like, yeah. but, but well, I also well, it's remember like going up over Clay Hill, like you're in fifth gear and I went through there the first lap and I shut off and thought, what the fuck, and Brooks come past me and it's like he didn't shut off the gas first lap and, I, and the wheels coming off the floor. And I'm thinking, man, yeah. I don't know if I signed up for the right thing here. Yeah. But, but you must have gained so much confidence now moving forward, following on from that, having been through all that experience. And you've gone on to World Superbike. You've had a great first weekend in the championship. I know you all say, oh, it's a track and I would hope to do better. But a great first weekend in the championship. You must be bouncing at the moment. Um, I am and I'm not because... I did go there to, to, to win the first round. I mm. knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I went to win, but I went also to be sensible. Mm. Um, I wasn't going to take crazy risks where I thought, oh, I'm probably not going to finish if I do that. It's not the place to do that. Start of this season, you need to get good, solid points on the board um, and be consistent. And for me, the biggest thing was just understanding racing with these guys, like over race distance, see who 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 does what. You know what I mean? Like mm. in BSB, I kind of had full control of the race with the guys. Like I knew when to go, when not to go, when to show to go. Like I had full control. It was just um, an experience thing that I had over them. But now going back to World Championship, I don't have that as much. I have to be a bit more smart. So I wanted to use those three races to understand who likes to lead, who doesn't, who will push, who would make a, an aggressive overtake and just figure out who does what. But you need to do a full race distance to understand that. And then the sprint race is a different race again. So I wanted to use the full distance of those races to understand that when I go to round two, I know where I sit in the game and I can start to like, take a few more risks and fight a bit more. Yeah, whatever round two may be, which we don't know, unfortunately. Hey, and yeah. you know what? The one thing, Neil, that um, Scott's done is you've picked up an army of fans that you might not have known you'd had over on Grand Prix and you've come back home. And actually, I saw so many people going to BSB last year to support you and now they'll follow you on through again. Do you feel like that? Do you think that's happened? Is that a fair, yeah, fair yeah. comment? Yeah, that's what's that's what's happened. I saw it this year at the um, I was at the NEC bike show every day on my insurance stand, and the number of Scott Redding uh, T-shirts or so. I, like for example, I probably saw percentage-wise five times the amount of Scott Redding T-shirts to Cal Crutchlow T-shirts. You, you, you know what I mean? Like that. that you know what was good for me? Like I really like connecting with the fans and stuff. We we know I like that's you know a big part of racing for me because at the end of the day without the fans we ain't going racing um but i could never really be that person in gp and then as soon as i went to bsb the feeling i had was like i was just going racing with my mates so i was really mm. relaxed i had time for everyone there was a bit more time through the weekend you're not being like mobbed mobbed if you know what i mean yeah. like you can actually go to do an event. You go there and there's loads of people there and you can talk to the people. 
and they can see on the track how much I was trying. They knew that I'd never been to BSB, but they could see the fight that I'd never wanted to give up. And I think they really valued that after people thinking, having this GP star, probably going to be stuck up, not going to be interested. <laughs> you know. And I said to people from day one that that ain't me. No, that it, like, it never was me, you, was it? Show it? It never was, but you have to show it to people yeah. sometimes. Because in GP, people don't get to see that. Like, yeah, I would want to do vlogs behind racing or at testing or at the races, but you're not allowed to do it. So people, you get cat- categorized within the majority of people and I'm not the majority of people. So the people only saw that when we got to do the events like Snetterton and we had the, the monster rig up there and, you know, it was like the riders were throwing stuff in the crowd. Then I come along and I just lost my shit on the stage and i just fucking threw everything and anything i could get my hands on you know <laughs> then end up throwing myself in the crowd and it was just because the, the energy was there and you feel it when you're riding and that's a big thing for me and probably why i was so successful at my home gps because i had that feeling so i managed to add that feeling last year at every round i went to uh, you know, talking of successful at home gps before you uh, came on i was reminiscing with uh, neil about the Wolf celebration at Silverstone <laughs> was an absolute one of the highlights of having you in Grand Prix racing um, when I've been there all the time was the, the prowl through the gravel after winning the British Grand Prix. That, that, was, that was special for me. I'll never forget that. It was, um, it was a special moment. I actually watched some highlights of it the other day. You know, we were stuck in quarantine. I've, I've kind of just gone back and I watched Guitar 2008 and I was actually surprised how well I actually did in GP because being there, as mad as it sounds, mm-hmm. you put so much pressure on yourself and expectation. When you do a, a, a pretty good result, say like a top six or something, you just you kind of shrug it off like fuck, you know, that's a not good result, blah blah blah. But now I now I'm out of there and I look back in, I go fuck me, Scott, you did a good race there. Oh, you did a good race there. Oh, you was quickest in practice there. You qualified pole there. You was on the podium there. And I almost forgot about it. So it actually, like, built me up some more confidence thinking what I did, I was proud of. But you, I just didn't realise it yeah, until now. And, and it must be so hard as well. Um, you grew up in the paddock, Scott, didn't you? You, you were 15 when you won your first race at Donington Park. I was 15. And, and, and you were growing up still. Yeah I, yeah, I was 15 at Donington and it's just, it was just a way of life. Like, I would, I would like to go back to GP with the right machinery, the right bike. I would never go back on anything half-hearted. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think I would appreciate it more. Yeah, I reckon you're right I think the, I think the problem that I had, maybe not a problem because I was in a great position that millions of riders around the world would like to to do and i managed to get myself in that position but being there from such a young age you don't appreciate what you're doing until you go away and you have a break and you think you know i I never watch racing on tv it's not my thing but when i have watched races in moto gp and i think fuck me like you was there like think about what what you was doing so it makes me think like if if I ever had an opportunity to go back there and have a bike that could fight for good positions, I think I would definitely have a different mentality than what I had when I was there. Because I see, like, I was demoralizing myself by putting more pressure than what was necessary. Like, 
the positions finishing like eighth and sixth and you know you know tenth in MotoGP they're not bad results but when I was there that was like a real bad day it was the end of the world I don't want to see anyone yeah isn't it funny though the the psychology of it all it's so nice you're talking openly like that really interesting isn't it absolutely Uh, and it's uh, great to hear it from you Scott as well and you know like you'd finished eighth tenth in a Grand Prix and you go back to your motorhome and you are pissed off. You're not happy. You don't enjoy it. You don't celebrate. There's no pat on the back. It's just back back to the grindstone. I've got to be better. I've got to be better. I've got to be better. Not at any yeah. point do you go, actually, we're doing okay here. This is all right. Look at the bike I'm on. Look at the team. Look who beat me. Look at the teams that have beaten me. Yeah. I mean, we, th- this is it. This is the pinnacle. The best riders in the world. It's MotoGP. Yeah. And the, so, the, and the thing so is, right. like, like I was saying, it's like because I've grown up there, like with the family and everyone else around, like mm. I was brought up to win. Like I was bred to win. That's what I what that's why I go racing. That's the biggest thing for me. It's not about money, fame and all that. It's about winning. Like that's the main thing. If I can't make results, like winning for me is doing myself what I think's winning. Like in GP with a satellite bike, if you're top six, that's like a it's like a win. It's a great day in the office. But like everyone else around was in the same position as me. Like we grew up winning yeah. and being the sharp end. So when you drop back and maybe the machinery is not right, that's not an excuse. Like still Scott Redding can do it. But you're against the best riders in the world. It's what I try to explain to people. Like the top 15, top 18 guys in MotoGP are the best riders in the world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, it doesn't sink in sometimes, but then you, you take a step back and you think about it and you go, fuck, like out of the world. This is the world. It's the best of the best. People have got there through talent and winning. You don't really get to MotoGP and be something special from money. Money doesn't really get you it to be at the sharp end. Uh, of people, would, people wouldn't have it. People wouldn't believe you if you say it. But the cream does eventually rise. You get found out, and the cream rises to the top in terms of talent. And I think one thing it's great to hear you actually when you've gone back to the UK, uh, and 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 it's almost like a realization and maturity that comes about you. I lived away. I lived abroad in Spain for many many years, and you come back to the UK and you hear people griping about it. Oh, this this and that, and you sort of think, well, actually no, it's. It's actually great here. It's it's great abroad as well, and it's greater in the World Series. But you know, here it's good. Um, uh, Neil, you went through a similar sort of process throughout your your career, exactly the same. And 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 you went back at the end to Grand Prix, which is a possibility for Scott, I'm sure, in the future. But you'd be the first to say you've got to be on a competitive package, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. But um, Scott's ahead of the curve there, isn't he? Because now he's he's in World Superbikes. He's in the factory team. He's in a great team. He's on a good bike. Obviously, he's lying second in the in the championship already after one round. And when I say he's ahead of the curve, there's no way he's going to ride an, a, a B ride, let alone a C ride in MotoGP, because there's no point. So, hopefully, and you can answer this, Scott, but Scott's in uh, negotiations, so it's been talked about, look, if I win the World Superbike Championship, what are the possibilities of getting me back in on a, a proper bike a little bit bayless was it a, an example yeah. you know bayless did that one-off ride what happened with that bayless had had bad experiences in in motor gp yeah. teams didn't quite work for him and then when he got his confidence and had his people around him it 
he did that one-off ride and won. You know, and that's yeah, what Valencia. Yeah, Valencia, and that's what Scott potentially would be capable of doing. But like I say, it's about obviously. I know you've got good management, so those conversations will have already been had. You know, but for you, it's mm. irrelevant because all you're focusing on is whenever your next race will be. But is to try and win the World Superbike Championship. I'm guessing. Mm. The only problem there is is at the moment in GP they keep trying to bring up all these young riders so fast. Yeah. And I kind of don't agree with it really because it's like skipping classes throughout your school. Like you do Moto three, you should do at least two to three years Moto two, and then you should like classify to be Moto GP through experience. Taking riders straight from Moto three to Moto GP is is um. I don't know. It's like a gift. It's a God's gift to have that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Well, there was the there was a time when there were there were a lot more older riders, weren't there? But but it goes through these phases, and it was like when Rossi came, everyone thought, right, we've got to have a young guy, and then you sort of get a phase of them all coming through, and they all get a little bit older, and then another young one turns on, like Mark Marquez, and people always want the young, and then Fabio Quartararo comes on, and you know what's going to happen, Scott. You know they're going to be trying to do the same thing yeah. because what they do is they see someone who's cheap, in theory, cheaper to to get on quickly mm. and get there before everyone else. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. That's that's kind of the thing, really. But it's just I find it a little bit unfair, really. Yeah, it is I agree. What it is, I'm not complaining, but it's just like they're not really getting the the maximum out of it. And then you get riders that don't really get an opportunity to like show themselves, and in MotoGP. Quattararo is the man everyone's talking about and i got to take my hat off to him. He's doing a phenomenal job last year. But the question I always ask, if you take him off of that bike and put him onto somewhere else, where would you see him? Mm. Well, we know the answer, don't we? You know, and that's the... Put him on your the Aprilia, you rode, Scott. Put him on that. Where would he finish? It would just be the same. It'll be the same. It'll be the same positions. He won't be where he is and... It was the same with Zarco, you know. He came there, a good rider, raced against him many times, beat him many times, but then he turns up on the satellite Yamaha and he's doing fucking amazing results. You know, Jonas Volga, I, raced, I grew up with him. You did, you were best pals as kids from the academy days. You know what I mean? And then, like, they come on there, one goes on one bike, one goes the other with a similar level rider and one's fighting for podium and one's struggling to get inside the top 10. Mm. Why? And then, you know, you, you know, I go to World Superbike with a good bike. The first days on the bike, I'm fighting for the top three. And it's just, that's the thing is you need to have a good package, especially in MotoGP because you're against the best guys. And if you don't, you're kind of, I would say, pissing in the wind because you're wasting you are. your time. You know, 100%. unless you just, unless it's a, a hobby for you, like some riders, they just yeah. enjoy going racing and they, you know, but that ain't for me. No, no, you, you race to, to live as well. I've meant you go for winning. You, you know, I know it's your life is racing. Maybe you're saying some quote that, you know, racing is my life. That's all I know how to do. It's all I want to do. How I want to know then how you feel, felt um, with the whole Aprilia saga. Uh, did you feel let down? Well, I won't put any words into your mouth. How did you feel? Because they made such an early decision um, to re- to replace you there. Um, what was that like? Fuck them. <laughs> no, tell us what you really think, Scott. Get off that fence. You know. Hey. Oh, straight up. You know what I mean? Like, to be honest, 
the I thought the intentions from them was there. Um, they made an offer good. I saw the buy contract. I thought, you know, I believe I'm a better rider than Alex Espargaro. I, I do like the guy, but I believe I'm a better rider than him. But he was beating me all the time. And I just couldn't get my head around it. Um, and they said, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's a factory bike. We're going to do this. And it was just a fucking empty, an empty word. And that's what kind of hurt me. This is mm. what struggled because, you know, I go for winning. I was working hard. I was, I was the lightest I've ever been in racing. The lightest I've ever been. But there was nothing coming. You know, to, we got to Sepang and uh, they gave us the new bike. And I went out, I did two laps and I come in and I said, this thing is shit. I said, this, this ain't where we need to go. Like, the front end of the bike was like I had a tyre that was two times softer. It was just like rolling, rolling, rolling. I was thinking, what the fuck's going on? Not even pushing. But they just didn't believe in me. I said, mm. use the old bike, it's better. No, no, stick with this. So we managed to get a similar lap time by changing all the bike, like body position. You shouldn't have to change that. It should already be the base of the old bike. And... um it was just a downhill spiral from there, really. You know, we tried this, we tried that. And then I was asking for stuff. Stuff wasn't coming. And there was, like, pressure to do result. And I'm like, the bike is just shit. It doesn't work. What do you want me to do? I cannot physically force a bike to do something it doesn't want to do. Mm. Neil, you know from riding, when you get on a bike and you, and you brake and you feel that it's physically stopping you, you feel it. <laughs> When you've got a bike that you break and you just feel like a truck's pushing you from behind, you can't make it stop anymore. No. And it, you and it, you it, turn it, into a corner and the bike, you should feel it push on your hands that it's trying to turn the corner too much. But this bike never did that. I was trying to like pull it with my shoulder and my knee to turn the corner. Like you cannot be doing, that's like what you need to do when you're like, two tenths behind and that's like the the real small things where you're forcing it to do a little bit more not when you're fucking two, two and seconds, half seconds off. off the pace yeah. you know what i mean yeah. like you just don't stand a chance and then nothing was ever coming and we changed this changed that when we got to sepang for the race the bike that rolled out of the garage for the sepang gp was exactly the same as the bike they rolled out for day one of the test exactly the same that's unbelievable that's um, unbelievable that's the penultimate the fact, round yeah the maddest thing is i said to him halfway through the year i said bring the old bike at a private test because we tested quite a lot i said bring the old bike and let's just check like let's see what's better what's worse i hope you guys everything's worse with the old bike and they laughed at me they laughed and there was like oh don't be so silly the new bike's better blah 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 i said yeah but just try like just test we don't know like we're in a bad situation so try <laughs> going backwards Can't make going it worse. Forwards does help and, you know and they laughed at me right and then they brought the bike to aragon i went home after the test and alex stayed which i didn't know about i only saw by his instagram that he stayed so i was like okay what the fuck and i messaged him he said oh yeah we're testing the old bike and i thought oh funny that and I said, how did you get on? He said, I went four tenths faster in the first exit with the bike. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. That is so unbelievable. You know what happened then? Alex kicked off, kicked up a 
and they sent a bike to Japan. So he went to Japan and he crashed in the race because they were struggling with engine brake or something. It wasn't chassis. Um, and I was left with the old bike. I never even got to test uh, with the new bike. So I was never got to test the bike from the previous year. I was never allowed to test it. Because when we got to like Assen and that, I started to close the gap to Alex a little bit. So mm. then he started to feel a bit more depression. And that's when they tested the old bike and it was better. And then I couldn't get within four or five tenths of him for the rest of the year. And we was working on an engine that had more inertia to help the bike turn, give it more engine brake. Because when I first rode it, it was like a two stroke. It had no engine brake. It was a joke. Oh. And by the time we finally got an engine with more inertia, I got two engines, and when that engine ran out, which was in Phillip Island, I fought with them till I was blue in the face that I'm racing this bike, regardless if it blows up or not. After that, I had to go back to the old engine. That's how I ended up with the same bike as the race, as what we rolled out with the test. So it had no engine brake, didn't turn, spun its head off. And then they, you know, they expect you to race with that, and it's just psychologically demoralizing, like, what is the point of mm. me fucking riding? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that was where I came with them. And we ended up on kind of bad terms. And, you know, I got a fine through the year for saying what I thought about the bike. <laughs> You're and, not the first. You won't be the last. You know, sure. But at the end of the day, I don't want to lie to the people. If the bike's a piece of shit, it's a piece of shit. Like, mm. we need to work on it. It's not personal. That's just how I feel about it. If the bike was great, I would say it's great. And I'm riding like a knob. But it's not the case. So, you know, didn't really leave on great terms. I have no um, no future to go back to Aprilia because regardless if the bike's good, their method of working is not great. And you know what? When I came back to Ducati, it just was the complete opposite. Like the passion that they have for winning and racing is out of this world. I walked through the factory as you know, I'm an ex, say, XGP rider, nothing really special, going to BSB. And the, the people there, they're just inspired by you. You know, just walking through the factory and people just start clapping because they just feel like they've got a guy that races the bikes their best ability. And then building bikes, even the street bikes, they feel like they're part of, of you as a racer. And you just feel like when you're there, they want to win. You know, it's not about racing, it's winning signing a contract we want you to win i said good because i want to win i, I want to hear from you that you want to win and now we can work together and that's what for me has made me feel so comfortable being with ducati and seeing their potential god that's so nice to hear that's it is so ducati that that because it's still the same people that have been there for so many years that small group of people you know with yeah, Claudio Dominicali and Paolo mm. Cibatti, all, all those guys. It is about winning. That's the only reason they want to go racing, isn't it? And it's nice, and it's music for your from your point of view, from a rider's point of view. All you ever want to hear off the team you're riding for is, "We're here to win." It's yeah, not we're we're here huge. to just circulate. It's like no, no, no. There is one job. Yeah. We have to we have to win. You know that's what you want to hear. Because then yeah. it puts pressure on you, but you're ready for the pressure. It's like, yeah, that's that's what I do. You know what I mean? I can deal with this pressure. Just give me a bike and let's, let's have a well, go winning what, this title. That's what I train every day for, and that's what I risk my life for, is for winning. That's why I do it. It's, it's not for nothing else. When I went to Mark BDS with Michael Bartolome, 
Um, and we started to fight for the championship. And uh, Pete Benson was my crew chief at the time. Mm. Um, and a couple of real good mechanics around me, like Stuart Miller, Jerome, you know, all good yep. guys. But Pete, Pete was relentless. Like, to win, Pete Benson was relentless. There was only one objective, and it was winning. Didn't care how we did it, what he had to do, how many hours he had to work, what it cost, we was winning. And that's how you end up fighting for a world title. Well, that's, that's why, why that's we why, in that's, a position to do that. That's how he won one with Nicky Hayden, and he's won them in the past since with the likes of Tito and, and who have you, you know? Is, you know what, and I mean, when I mean relentless, I mean every little detail that people do not even think about was there. My biggest problem was weight. So it was about cutting weight as fine as we could on the bike, fine as we could on the leather suit, fine as we could on the boots. Myself, everything was just down to what we could do. And when I spoke with uh, Paul Bird about coming to BSB, you know, he's mad as a box of frogs. But <laughs> when he turned around and said to me, I'm hiring you because I want you to win the championship and we have a team that can win. I said, put the fucking contract down. That Let's go. That's for me. That is enough said. For you to say that to me, job's done. Let's, let's do it. And then, you know, it was the same. When I was in Ducati factory and we was talking and Claudio was there, Paolo, and uh, Paolo was asking me something and then Claudio said, I said, the fuck, mate, I just, I want to win. Just give me a bike. And he looked at me and he said, Let's sign the contract and we're going to go and fucking win this. And I just thought, <laughs> that is, that is, you know what I mean? These people you see on like the TV and these big managers and bosses and CEOs and whatever else. When you have people like that talking to you like that, that gives you so much confidence in the project. And it's a mad thing in racing and how much it makes a difference. And you see people like the best, the best of the best, like Valentino Rossi has also experienced a rough time back when he did go to Ducati. And the problem wasn't that they didn't want to win. The The bike was not in a great transition at the time. And they worked to build the bike to what they have today. But I remember those days that when Rossi had that bad year with Ducati, that he actually was talking about retiring. Mm. Yeah. And then he signs a deal with Yamaha, starts winning again. And then he stays for many more years. So you can tell that it's a very psychological thing that when you're winning, life's good. When you're not, it's a hard time. And that's what, what makes a difference between riders that maybe can bite down and keep going and keep trying to ride just to have a, you know, a year or two bad and just kind of sack it off. But it's a, it's a doggy dog world out there. I think, I think that's something, Gav, Gav, that people don't understand. I think people think that you think that you just you scott but riders in general think they've made it when they go to get to motor gp you don't think feel like that you feel like you've made it when you're winning races because that's because to get to motor gp you've had to have been the best throughout your career so from yeah. doing from being a schoolboy race against other schoolboys to doing national series you've you know to to be the absolute pinnacle the best in the world so, so you've been, you have been addicted to winning. That's, yeah. you know, I race bikes because I like winning. I didn't even yeah. like racing bikes. No, Carl I don't. Fogarty's the same. When you speak to Carl Fogarty, not that interested, not that awesome about racing bikes. Just loved winning. And if, if it's not going well, 
you hate yourself, you hate everything. And it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a mad it's thing a, you say that because I thought it was just me that just didn't really like racing. I never grew up loving racing. I never said to my dad or my uncle, oh, I want to go and ride. I never, I never said that. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. Just riding. That's interesting because having seen you from such a young age and having seen what you, you're successful at such a young age as well, I always thought it was, you know, you're pushing to do that. But the racing itself, you haven't enjoyed. Yeah, because I tell you what, it's not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable. <laughs> I love you saying that. I love it though. Be, be, being honest, it's so nice to hear that. Very but few riders would talk like, like that. You know what? Like maybe for some riders, it's enjoyable because they're not scaring themselves. They're riding in their comfort zone. When you're winning and you're trying to win, you're not in your comfort zone because you're doing stuff that other riders aren't able to do. So you are taking more of a risk and it's fucking scary. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. Like <laughs> it is, it is scary. Like it can go wrong at any moment. It does pass through your head many times. Um, and I thought it was just me because a lot of people, when I say that, they, they say, oh, well, you don't really enjoy it. Do you know what I enjoy now? Putting my bike in the van, going to a track day and riding that i yeah. start to to enjoy like when last year i did my first track day i said fuck i went with fraser i said fucking hell mate i said oh, i love that set of tires on the bike put some fuel in there's no pressure there's no pressure to race there's no pressure for results you can go and ride like when you go and ride motocross with your friends and yeah. i come back and i actually feel like i enjoy it and it's the first time in my whole racing career i could say that i've enjoyed to ride a bike so that's, you know, it's probably, it's, it's a mad thing out there. Scott, honestly, I retired in 2010. And at the end of that year, I was a bit, I was starting to get a bit depressed because I was, I was missing having a purpose. I actually wasn't missing racing, but a, mm. a purpose. I didn't know what to do. And Neil McKenzie said, why don't you ever go doing this track day? And I'm like, teaching. And I'm like, I don't know, that can't be, I'm not going to be teaching at track days. I'm too good for that bizarrely mm. in my head i was thinking mm. and i went and did a four-day almeria track day with focused events and exactly what you just said for the first time i'm riding around on a road race bike on a track thinking this is amazing yeah. it's so much fun <laughs> because i had no pressure on me because every yeah. lap you do gav on, on a bike mm. it's paid for right so if you're testing the team hired a track you've got tires on you can't just go and test him and have a piss about. It's no. We're here to be, you've got to be like record pace. You're testing that new swinging arm. What's it feel like? Everything's intense. And honestly, yeah. there's no enjoyment. It's like, you're stressed. It's yeah. so, so funny listening to you well, say it's it. Fascinating. It's fascinating to hear you both say it, to both have a similar sort of um, mm. outlook on it. Um, I, I do find it great that you you have that idea of return to MotoGP because we do forget you are still only 27, aren't you? Still the same age as as Mark Marquez. You came through together. I'm getting old. I am bad. Oh, <laughs> You're talking to the wrong people there <laughs> about that one. Uh, definitely. I, I, do you feel like there's unfinished business though? Um, definitely. Um, but I just can't get out of my head. Um. I just feel like I got cut a bit short, really. Like, I got an opportunity yeah, but you... to go there. 
but not to perform there. No, I, and that was the bit that kind of hurt me a bit. Timing was a bit off, wasn't it, for you? Like, you were on a Honda for a couple of years when the Honda wasn't a great bike to be on as a as a customer bike. And then you are on a Ducati where similar sort of thing was the case. You Actually, I, I've said this to people before and they say, well, he had five years at it. That should be enough. But do you do you feel a bit like that? Um, I, I don't know. I, I, would rather, I would rather have one good year than five shit years any day of the week. <laughs> you know? Because that one good year would lead you on to 10 more good years. Yeah. Um, and the problem is in MotoGP, you don't have time to breathe. So the moment you don't get results, oh, he's lost it. He's, you know, like Zarco, he, he was he was the man. Mm. He's changed manufacturer and now he's nobody. He's gone from Honda, nobody, gone to the Ducati. He's a, no, he's a nobody now. But he he's, was the year before he wasn't. And that's the thing, by it's such a rough game out there. You can go from hero to zero. Yeah, that. look at that. Valentino Rossi, when he went to that Ducati, like the god, the the god of the gods of MotoGP, has now lost it. He's a nobody. Then he comes back with a good bike, wins again. He's a hero. Yeah. And Zarko's such a, a great example because Zarko signed for KTM fully ready to give it everything he's got. He didn't sign for KTM and think, oh, great, I'm getting paid two million euros a year here. I'll just relax. No, Zarko give it everything he possibly got and couldn't get on with a motorcycle. And now, subsequently, he's signed for a Vintia, which is one of the... I'd have to call that class as a C team in MotoGP. Is that desperate to just try and get on a bike that will suit him, or he hopes will suit him, to give him that chance one more time? Well, yeah, it's a bit like gambling. And he's, he's gambling to try and fit onto something that will do something, but the, the problem is you can have a Ducati, but having a Ducati in a private team, like a Vintia, yeah. you're going to get yourself from last to make maybe 15th, you know what I mean? Maybe you can do a couple of top 12s, maybe. Yeah. That's the limit of the bike, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you, you're chasing to try and get better, you know, he had a great opportunity on Nakagami's Honda, you know, and we're saying, oh, on a Honda, I can fight for this, I can fight for that, but you've got to do it at the end of the day, and that's the problem, like, saying and doing, and you see people on some bikes, you know, like, as much as me and Crouchlow get along or don't get along or whatever, I don't know, I have to say, he does do good results when he stays on the bike, he does do some good results, yeah. It's not an easy bike to ride, and people maybe don't see that, but he does do it. But then if you put him on maybe a Ducati, he probably wouldn't get along so well. Like, some riders just soon... Well, he didn't, did he? He, had a year on, he, had, he only had a year on Ducati, did Cal, and he was the first to say he didn't get on with yeah. it and, and made the switch halfway through a contract at, at Ducati. And people, Marco Melandri at the time didn't, and it's happened to a few people. I Jorge, Jorge Lorenzo on the Honda. The, you know, an example yeah, there of it. Different people just don't suit bikes. That's just that's just how it goes. Mm. Yeah, it is. Uh, so fascinating. saying all that, okay. Saying all that because I totally agree with everything you're saying. We're on the same page. Every now and again, you do get a freak of nature. There's an exception to the rule. So if you put Mark Marquez right now on that KTM, how do you think you'd get on? <sighs> That's a good question. I have thought about it because I do, I do deeply inside think one day you would make that switch to KTM. But I, I think the KTM's hit a little bit of a wall. Like it came out, it was pretty impressive, 
but I think it hit a little bit of a wall and only Paul Spagaro can kind of sometimes do a good result with it. And I think that'll be a Marquez thing. So yeah. I don't think he could finish on the podium with it. Right. That's interesting. May, may, maybe at some tracks, a top five. Right. But if you give him a couple of years with the bike, it's a different yeah. story. Yeah, 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 yeah. The potential is it is there with the manufacturer the potential is there with the rider but it just needs time to collaborate to do things that marquez wants it to do it'll just he'll just crash his brains out every time because he'll be trying to push the bike to where the bike can't go and mm. that's why you see him saving crashes and doing stuff that is freak of nature because he's spent so much time crashing and going over the limit that he's built the bike to to be stable on that limit and now you see him, you know, touch wood, not crashing as much as he used to. Yeah. Is who who do you rate then as riders when you look around? I've I've heard you mention. Obviously, you look up to Valentino, someone you've looked at um, <clears throat> growing up. So who who are you? Who do you look out there on the panorama? Whether it's a British World. Hang on, GP? hang on, Gav. Gav. Go on. Here's one for you. How how strongly do you rate Jonathan Ray? Five, obviously, five-time world superbike champion, five in a row. You know, destroyed everybody. Really, it's not like he's luckily won championships. Where do you rate mm. him? Because you've raced against the best. Yeah, good question. To be honest, um, obviously, he's, he is a great rider with a great talent, and he did a lot of rough years in Honda. And this is what I mean by riders that don't give up and then get a breakthrough. Mm. Um, Johnny was one of those, you know, he was riding that Honda that was a fucking shed. Um, <laughs> but he didn't give up. He didn't give up for many years. And as soon as he jumped onto that Kawasaki, you know, it was good night for the rest of them. Um, but at this moment in World Superbike, he's, he is one of the best riders with the best bike. It's a good package. He knows what the bike can do. He's just got to do it. But if he went to Muck, GP, do I think he could be at the sharp end competitive? No, I don't. Right. Um, because Superbike and GP is two different levels. It's, 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 there is a level difference, you know, and it's just, it's just, it's not because the rider level is different, but it's the whole upbringing. It's very rare you get a Superbike rider come to GP and do something special. We've mm. had it in the past. We've had riders like Cal that's got better. Uh, you've had Ben Spees. But now it's getting even harder. You know, it's getting even more fine grain to get up to the top. Um, and Johnny will be probably the person, I would say, the strong point that Johnny's got is he's clever. He's very smart mentally. Um, yeah. And he, he doesn't break under pressure so much, which is a good thing to have. And everyone does have a weak point, but you just need to find it. But racing with him at Phillip Island, seeing how he controls the race and stuff. But then I hear some comments that he says, and I think, oh, okay, maybe there. You know, I like to study the riders myself as well. Um, but do you know who I think is quite impressive is uh, Top Rack. Yeah. yeah. He is the a guy that I ride with, and I think, Fucking hell, mate! Like <laughs> he's got some skill, ain't he? He's got a, he's got a lot of feel, ain't he? Just it's incredible. It's incredible. Like 
seeing a rider in front of you is you always think they're doing something good and you're doing it yourself anyway you don't realize but when I've been behind him and I'm seeing him get that bike sideways and breaking and lifting the rear so late into the corner it kind of just makes me scratch my head a little bit it's a bit yeah. like when you see Marquez you think that shouldn't be really happening and I think Top Rack's maybe one of them guys that could maybe go further mm. you know he's still yeah. young it wants to, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you've said that. It's an interesting shout, that one, Scott. I'm, mm. uh, I'm a fan of that one. Yeah, me too. Very interesting. Uh, Neil, yeah. I'm wondering if you've um, brought your big questions to the table this week. Gav, do, do you understand how Gas It Out works? Basically, Scott... We've been building yeah. up to we, this moment. <laughs> we have a chat, like we've had. Gav asks you some real crap questions. And then... <laughs> And, and then I just do some hardcore quick fire. These are it's a very right. short round quick fire. These are the real but ones, are they? These are the real. And hang on a minute, Gav. Just yep. shut up a sec. Yep. These. This is what people want to know at home. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they're definitely so, writing in their droves for this. Go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the feedback I've been getting off people is more of your questions, Neil, and like stop Gav talking. Was, this in, was this in the mirror? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do Neil from Neil. Yeah, dear, dear Neil. I really love everything you say. Right. First question. You've you've had a big night out. You've had a lot to drink, right? You're out with your mates or whoever. You can be out with whoever you want to be, right? You're on your way. You've come out of a club and you've got that hunger, you know, that starving <laughs> feeling. What do you go for? Do you go for a kebab? Do you go for fish and chips? Do you try and get a pizza? What's your, what's your, I'm leathered and I need something to soak it up? Oh, it's been a while. I haven't been drunk for a while. I'm trying to think back. What? Um, so disappointed. Uh, yeah, I haven't had a drink since New Year, actually. Oh, that's Good impressive. Um, Good what would I say? Oh, I think it just depends what you got. Because sometimes, you know, you get out when you're getting out at four or five o'clock in the morning. A lot of things are closed. Yeah. If, <laughs> if I go for if I go for a kebab, which is possible, I'll just run a chicken chicken sheesh kebab. I think. Chicken sheesh. Yeah, chicken sheesh. Not nice. Um, garlic well, sauce, chili sauce. Nah, I run mint sauce and mayonnaise. There we are. Right. Nice. <laughs> I like it. What's funny about that? He's coming out of clubs at four and five o'clock. See, <laughs> I'm thinking about me. I'm done at you, Gav. Like, usually about 9.30, I'm done, aren't I? <laughs> I've had enough and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to get fish and chips. Thing is, I, anyway. have, I have seen Scott at that time in the morning, but I think the time I saw him at that time in the morning, he was dressed as Captain America. <laughs> like that. End of season party. Oh, I'm going to say, that's not a fantasy of yours. No, it's no, a no, weird no. dream it's, you've been having. Definitely, I've got the picture. I've got the picture. All right. So, Scott, back to the questions. As a kid growing up, whose poster did you have on your wall? Now, was that like, it can be girls, it can be bikes. What what was your poster in your bedroom? Um, my dad wouldn't let me put any posters up in my room. Oh, um, criminal. I know, but who did I like back in the day? Oh, I don't know, actually. I'm... I don't really. I'd never really had any posters up. I was right. never, like I said, I've never been into racing. I never used to really watch racing or TV or right anything like that. I was just out BMX and being a good lad. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do, right, you want, okay. do you want, actually, what I'm loving about these questions more than anything is, I ask him about the tough times at Aprilia. I ask him about that and he's got answers to gold, <laughs> absolute gold. And you actually have given some hard-hitting questions here. caused him more problems. <laughs> I was just thinking back to like those days when you're saying about posters on your wall and that. It just remind me back to when I did live in the UK. And I used to come home from school. My dad had probably grounded me, but my nan would <laughs> let me out. So I used to live with my nan as well. Um, so my nan used to let me out. And then on top of that, so I'd been grounded. I'd been let out by my nan. So my dad didn't know because he was at work. But I was supposed to train for an hour when I come home from school. That started it when I was like 12. Daryl used to make me train an hour. So if I got back home from school and my dad went there and I could get out on my bike before Daryl came around so he only lived down the road I knew I was safe to be out riding before it got dark but nine times out of ten Daryl would pull up to the skate park and everyone go fucking hell Scott your uncle's here you better go and he'd come and get me and drag me by my ear back to the house make me train for an hour and then I could go out but then at that point my dad come home and job was done so I was just reminiscing a memory there that oh. was just like those times <laughs> yeah don't, don't really sound like the great times but anyway you know we've you you've you've achieved a lot and you've uh, off the back it's of that it's built me up it's built exactly. me up to who i am today exactly right next question throughout the paddock you're sort of known as a little bit of a playboy right and i've seen some of your girlfriends and i've got to say you've had some very nice ones approximately scott how many models have you dated <laughs> It's a mad question. I wouldn't say I'm a playboy. I just, I have had um, quite a few girlfriends in the past. <laughs> but my my theory has been in the past, like, if it's not working, don't stay there to try and make it work, you know, because it ain't going to get any better. So it t- yeah. tended to last, like, 10 to 11 months, never really over a year. <laughs> um but, you know, the girlfriend I got now, she's a diamond, and I think we're going to last a very, very, very long time. Okay, hang on, uh, whoa, whoa. She's, is she, she's obviously in earshot then. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But, okay, you okay. know, there's just there's girls that make your life easy, and there's girls that make your life hard. Yeah, and I've got I know exactly what you mean. my life very easy, and that's important to a, a guy that's doing racing. Um, but dating models, I think only like two, I think. Uh, it probably just looked more because I brought my girlfriends to the track, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not as bad as what people think I am. Yeah, that's what everyone says. Right. <laughs> last last question. Right, and this is really this is the main one. O- over the years, there's been a few riders that have achieved the incredible feat of winning the BSB Championship and World Superbike Championship. <laughs> oh, God. Who, out of mm. the riders that have achieved that feat, is your favourite? <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> we're talking, you are? We're talking about... Uh, wait, can we name all two of them? <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> who, 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 are the, who are the names that have done it, just so Scott knows? Excuse me, excuse me, Gav. These are my questions. <laughs> all right. Just, who, just... Who, who are they? I don't know. I, I, well, excuse me, I'll, I'll read the question again, because it's a difficult one. I guess one of them's you. <laughs> oh, oh, it's funny you say that. It's, well, I say it is, yes. Um, 
Did, hang on, sorry, hang on. I, I got a cross line. Did you say me? Was that your answer? Is that your final answer? <laughs> yeah, Neil Hodgson. Oh, my work here is done, Gaff. Back to you, mate. Oh, my goodness me. He is just embarrassing on every single level, every oh, time. Yes. No, is it, is I'm it... embarrassed and I don't have to work with it. <laughs> <laughs> is it two people have done it, Neil, in the past? Two people, it's me and Troy Bayliss. Troy so, Bayliss yeah. is the other one, isn't oh, it? Oh, it would yeah. have been Troy Bayliss. <laughs> it would have been Troy. I knew it. Day. I knew it. <laughs> Scott, Scott, I can only accept your first answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking that. Hey, right, um, anyway, I think that's me done. Scott, um, <laughs> before we let you go, before we let you go, because we've taken up far too much of your time, um, obviously we're all on lockdown. How is how is it all treating you and what are you doing now? How are you preparing? Because obviously we, none of us know when racing's going to restart or anything like that. So how are you dealing with it? How are you finding it? Because none of us, I don't think, are finding it necessarily easy. Um, and uh, what what's a, you know, the day-to-day like for you now? Um. The hardest thing is I feel like I'm a retired rider, so I'm training and I'm thinking, why am I doing this? But at the same time, I'm, I know that when we need to go again, I need to be absolutely ready. So it's a little bit like an up and down wave. Like some days I think, fuck, what's the point? And other days I think you need to be ready to fucking explode when we get back and go racing. So it it's hard, but everyone's in the same boat. I'm out in California where we can actually still go out so I can go out running I can do a little bit of cycling um like in the UK it's full lockdown at the moment um so it's just kind of ticking the days off and waiting you know I I speak to my um Serafino team manager Mm. every other day I speak to Giovanni my crew chief we all stay in touch and everyone's just kind of waiting for the go again really but it is tough, but I'm using this time as a bit of a, say, a rest holiday as well as training, um, spending time at home with the girlfriend and, you know, just kind of having a bit of a, say, normal life, I guess. Yeah, and something so, you probably won't have had for, for a long, long time. Well, at least you do know what it's like to be retired and you probably know that you don't want to be like that for quite a while yet. I don't like it. No, exactly. it's exactly true. Yeah, that's all that matters then. Uh, if it spurs you on to bigger and better things, that's great. Scott, um, we do appreciate you um, being with us for as long as you have and some brilliant stories, some really interesting, fascinating things. So uh, cheers, mate, for that. And we can't wait to see you back out on track, basically, because uh, hopefully yeah. it'll be a good year for you. That will be good. I'd like to, um, I would like to come and do one round of the BSB um, this year if it actually goes under and uh, we start racing again and there's some time off maybe um i would like to come and do a bsb race with the with the stock bike i'm trying to see if we're allowed to do a race with it Brilliant. so it'll be good to come and have a day and uh, be with the fans and do a bit of racing and just uh, have a good time that'd be unbelievable if you're able to do that so, so much to look forward to for everyone sounds amazing super right, right scott bye. we'll let you go thanks so much for your time <laughs> Thanks, right, Scott. Where, really, um, appreciate Gab, really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Where am I it. sending the invoice to? Because it's <laughs> what? time. It's Neil Hodgson <laughs> at okay. DucatiXWorldChampion.com. There it is. Send, <laughs> it to, send it to Hodgie and he'll sort you out. All right. Nice one. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Top See you later, guys. See you Top later. Cheers, See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ciao. Oh, wow. There's some absolutely amazing revelations there. Is that just me? No. 
I, I'm a little bit in shock, to be honest. I thought we were going to have a real standard interview. We, we know Scott well. We know he's not PR, Mr. PR. But I still thought we were going to get the standard answers. And we got, well, we got, we got some proper honesty there. And it's rare you'll get a rider that's still, you know, in his career, still racing, that's so open, talking about being scared, talking about not enjoying it as much. Do you know what? That's probably the. I'd say that's probably the best podcast we've done. Well, I just think uh, from from Scott's from again, uh, I've got a. I've known him since he was a kid. You've known him for a long time. We've all known him. He's been in the public eye since he was a young kid. That's sounding like the most grown-up Scott ever, and I don't mean that to sound harsh because it doesn't. It's not harsh. It's a really good thing. Does that make sense? And it sounds like BSB has been the making of him you've hit the nail on the head honestly I, I, I would you know what, what before that before our conversation then I genuinely didn't think Scott would have a chance of winning the World Superbike Championship and having listened to the way he's spoken there and some of the stuff he said he's in the right place isn't he yeah. mentally he's in, the, he's in the right place and now I'm like I'll tell you what he's going to take some beating this year isn't he you know I mean he's, he's lying second already in the championship after round one but he's seriously impressive and seriously confident as well. Yeah. As old, and, and he had every right to go back to BSB. And as he said, to to not be confident and have the world against him and think I'm going back to all this lot. Don't want me to be here. You've you've experienced it. You've been there, Neil. Yeah, honestly, he, he, he's the way he's dealt with all, all that experience. You know, of going back and the difficulties of trying to learn Cadwell Park. I love how honest and open he was about riding around Ulton oh, Park following his t- t- teammate. But it, it was weird him saying it because I was sat here laughing, thinking, oh, my God, that's but, exactly what I felt. But a lot I remember what he said, actually, Neil, of things that you've said to me before. Well, yeah. yeah Did you yeah. ever think that you had quite a lot in common with Scott, having known him no, for, you know, all the time that you have in MotoGP? Not at all. And I've, I've, always, I've always got on with Scott, but I definitely would have never thought I'd got anything in common with him. But just listening to what he was saying there, it was bizarre. It was, it, it was like it was me saying it, you know, 20 years ago. Really, it, it, was, it was that similar of the things he was saying. So it's so right. It's funny about the not, not liking racing and not really not a big watcher of it. You hear it from certain sportsmen who it doesn't click in the same way, but it's the winning, it's the competitive edge, isn't it? That's what you strive for, that rush. Yeah. And everything else, if you're not achieving that, is a disappointment. And 80% of your races, you don't win, unless you're Mark Marquez or Valentino Rossi. But you, you, do you know what I mean? Mm. More, think about most races. Most races don't win. So you, it's like this uh, constant self-abuse of, I, I'm, I'm seriously self-loathing myself this week, you know, because I've had a bad race. It didn't go according to plan. And, and it builds up over the years, you know, and all the travel and everything that goes with it. And then you turn up at the NEC bike show and everyone pats you on the back and you go, yeah, I've got the best job in the world. I'm so lucky. Or you're on TV. But actually, your inner voice is going, oh, God, it's so stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong. I've just got to underline it by saying I do understand that people work in factories and hate their job uh, as well. Completely. It's not like the poor sportsman, you know, or sports exactly. person. It, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just telling you what it what it feels like. That's all. I'm being honest. And 
and Scott was the same, wasn't he? Yeah, and and neither of you think that because you're both from humble backgrounds, you know, and uh, you know exactly what it's like. Whether you've worked as a builder and well, you heard Scott himself where he's come from and what what he's achieved. So yeah. it's not it's not something you know that you're not afraid of. Um, but it, yeah, that is the competitive edge that it comes from. Yeah, honestly, that has um, that has floored me a little bit because um, yep. some some really really uh, interesting things that have come out of Scott there. I hope you've uh, enjoyed it. Um, anyone who's still listening, because this is I think the longest that we've got on. Um, but uh, I don't care. I think every everything that he was saying there was was great. Um, yeah. Right, Neil. Uh, what uh, have you got on for the rest of the week? <laughs> I mean, literally, I mean these questions every single time we do this. What have you got? On? I know. I'm just... Well, literally, I'm going now. Vic's made me a curry. She makes a really good oh, curry. Nice. No, no idea how she does it. So that's ready for me downstairs when we finish this. And to be honest, looking forward, I can't really focus past this curry because I've had one beer already. So I'm in the sweet spot. <laughs> I'm thinking, get downstairs, straight to the fridge, get a can of. Hang on, Cronenberg. 1664 is the pint can cooking like I can highly highly recommend it because it's a pint can. Oh, not this pint can story again. Right, we're gonna have to switch you off now because you're gonna go into it again. Yeah, I'm gonna. You've gone, you've had your one. Right, listen, right, Gav, is is this the end of the conversation? This is the end of the conversation because you're gonna gonna start talking about pint cans again. Gav, Mm. seriously though, I've enjoyed, really enjoyed it. I love you, man. Right, um, we'll uh, join you next time oh, with Gas It Out on the, uh, the pods chat and uh, hope you're all well. hope you're all um, making the most of uh, a bad situation that we're in at the moment and uh, join us again very soon for another uh, big guest because we've got some big ones in the pipeline. Uh, cheers, Neil. You enjoy your curry. Thank you. Bye. See you, mate. Bye.